This week's guest is Jennifer Wilcox, the author of Rahab's Heart, One Woman's Journey to Becoming a Servant of God. Jennifer is the founder of Rahab's Heart, a nonprofit designed to help women in need. Jennifer is also a foster and adoptive mother. She tells her story about the struggles that her and her family went through and how she's decided to help women in trouble. Foster Care Nation! Listen up. This is... Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey! Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today we have Jennifer Wilcox from Rahab's Heart with us to tell us about her mission. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? Doing well ourselves over here. Kids are quiet, happy, healthy, <laughs> fed, and not burning the house down. We're calling this a success. <laughs> For the moment, you better knock on some wood, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why mine are out of the house right now. <laughs> I promise it won't last. <laughs> yep. And for the people who listen to this podcast, you'll notice that Amanda disappears all the time in and out. That's usually where she's at. She's usually either duct taping a kid to a wall or pulling a <laughs> duct tape off of a kid who got stuck to the wall or settling some dispute. So she will come and go sometimes. But nonetheless, we're here to talk with Jennifer about her foundation, uh, Rahab's Heart and I know that you have some kids that you have dealt with the adoption system. And so can you tell us where you came into all that? You know, what brought you into it? What made you join it and kind of your story? Well, Jason, um, we have to go back a little bit. Um, so back in 2011, after trying to conceive, we never could conceive. So I started um, fertility treatments. And any woman out there who's been on fertility treatments knows how much of a roller coaster that is. One moment you're happy, the next moment you're crying. And it's not a fun journey. But, you know, when you want to have a baby, you do what you need to do to be able to make that happen. So after things weren't coming along, we decided that we're going to start adopting. And I don't know how it is in your state, but here in Colorado, it's a very strenuous thing to adopt a child. Um, we had no intentions of going through the foster care system at first. I said, no, we're going to do private adoption. And I would like a baby and not a child over the age of five. Well, God laughed in my face and sent me on the bus of foster care. <laughs> so I've, I'm still learning to this day not to tell him what I'm going to do and listen. <laughs> um, but um we uh, decided to start that journey in the very end of 2011. It's a very long process, a lot of paperwork. I've never seen so much paperwork in my life until you jump into the foster care system. And um, we started that journey and gave up on fertility treatments. Well, lo and behold, in October of 2012, I found out I was pregnant <laughs> and we had already started the process <laughs> of adoption. But I didn't want to say anything because I knew at that time that there was something wrong and I didn't know if this pregnancy would make it. So we just kind of kept quiet about it and kept going through the a journey of adoption. And um, then come the week before Christmas in 2012, I ended up miscarrying that baby at 12 weeks. 
And that was very hard for me. And so when that happened, I just, I came back home that day and I just, I was devastated. But to turn some sunshine on a sad moment, when I was in the hospital, our adoption counselor called and said, I have two little girls from Uganda that are not bonding with their foster mom, and we would like you guys to consider adopting them. So I'm laying in this hospital bed having contractions, <laughs> you know, just in a lot of pain and laughing and crying all at the same time because I couldn't believe this was happening. And so my husband says, we're going to have to call you back. And so after we went home that night, I took a couple of days and then I called her back because I knew those little girls in my heart were not for us. So we said, no, we're sorry, but they're just not meant to be our babies. And um, after that, I didn't know if adoption was ever going to happen because, you know, when you're waiting for a child, it seems like it's forever before you get that phone call. <laughs> and so we... Um, we kept moving on with our life, and then it was coming up April of 2013, and I was just devastated because I knew Mother's Day was coming up. And at church, they always have the moms stand up, and everybody claps for them, and it's this big happy Mother's Day. And not that I wasn't happy for the other moms, but my pain was so deep that I just did not want to go without being a mom. So I started praying and crying out to God, you know, please don't make me go to church again on Mother's Day and not stand up and not be a mom again. You know how painful this is for me. And so, well, lo and behold, <laughs> the week before Mother's Day, I got a phone call and my adoption counselor says, I have a little boy that I would like you to meet. And he's got red hair and blue eyes. Now, the funny thing why I say that is because my husband said if he ever had a little boy, he wanted him to have red hair just like him. So it was meant to be that this little boy was ours. But you know those infomercials where they say, but wait, there's more if you order now. Well, my second <laughs> surprise was coming. And I went, okay, what's coming? And she says, baby brother's due to be born in two weeks. And if you take one, you have to take the other. And I just could not believe what I was hearing. And so I went, okay. <laughs> and so immediately hung up the phone with her. Did I call my husband? No, I called my pastor because I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to get two kids. How do I do this? <laughs> so he goes, okay, step one, breathe. Now let's pray and I'll call your husband. And so I called my husband and told him what the story was. And he goes, okay, well, let's go meet him. You know, don't get your hopes up just in case, you know, because we had gotten a week, a call a week prior about another sibling set. But I knew when I got that phone call, it just wasn't the kids for us. You know, you know, in your heart when it's the right ones. And so our foster to adoption happened quickly, but also happened slowly. So I'll explain that. So with my first son, we got him exactly on Mother's Day, which is the best Mother's Day gift you could ever get is have your son delivered to you, you know, um, and of course, he's absolutely perfect, like every mom says, but how can you not love red curly hair with these pudgy little cheeks and pudgy little legs, you know? Yeah. And so um, we got to go meet him. Two days later, they said, okay, he's going to be yours. And that was Mother's Day. Now, when you get a child from foster care, you may not get anything. He came with a couple of outfits and a couple of 
diapers. And I'm like, okay, I have nothing for this child, (laughs) nothing. (laughs) And so if it wasn't for some friends pulling some things together and bringing us stuff, I mean, literally the child probably would have been sleeping on the floor (laughs) because we didn't have anything. I didn't even know how a car seat worked, (laughs) you know? So you put out an SOS to friends and go help. How does this work? Because you don't know. Um, And so we got our first child and his parental rights had not been terminated yet. And so, but we knew they would be, which was good for him. And so then exactly eight days later, baby brother was born. And let me tell you, when you go from no kids to a 15 month old and a newborn baby in less than two weeks, your whole world is turned upside down. (laughs) So. I imagine. I imagine. It's a very interesting time when you have two two kids. And so when I got baby brother, um, he was very sick. And that was due to mom being a meth addict and alcohol dependent. And so he would eat and immediately vomit everything up. So for the first three months of his life, I was feeding him every hour and a half. And that whole time was just kind of a blur. But also during that time, we still had to do parental visits. So I'm dealing with a child that is having screaming night terrors after he has these parental visits and a new baby that I have to feed every hour and a half. (laughs) Exhaustion was not even the word I had, (laughs) you know, for myself. I imagine Um, that's that's a lot. Yeah, It is a lot. I mean, there was a time that my in-laws came by and said, when's the last time you ate? And honestly, I could not remember when the last time I had eaten was because you just don't know when you're that tired. And so um, a few months down the road, we were able to go up to finally three hours and of every feeding for him. And for me, that was like, oh, praise you, Jesus. You know, three hours, that was a miracle. <laughs> so it, It's little um, things. Yeah, just the little things. Exactly. Um, But, um, you know, he's a really honestly, I mean, he's a happy boy and he was always a happy baby. Even every time he would vomit on me, he was still a happy baby. And I remember calling my girlfriend who was a hairdresser and I said, I don't even have time to shower. Could you please just get over here and cut my hair off because I can't even find time to wash it. And she just came over and there went eight and a half inches of hair because, you know, as a new mama, when you ain't got time to wash it and you've got puke in it and you're wiping it with baby wipes, let me just tell you, you smell wonderful. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I remember our pastor walking in the house and I was so exhausted and I'm trying to help my husband get a diaper on our, on our little one. And the toddler sitting on the couch with the grandparents and my pastor walks in and all I could do was laugh hysterically because, you know, you got to change a little boy quickly. Well, yes, you I know, do. I failed to tell my husband that. And uh, I'm just sitting there and I'm so tired that I'm just laughing to the point I'm crying and I could not stop laughing. And my pastor walks in and he goes, well, things have certainly changed around here. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> yes, they have. And so, but um, so my first son, we got in May and we were able to actually adopt him on November 22nd on National Adoption Day. And the cool thing about that is he was adopted with two of his other siblings that they still don't know about. We haven't dropped that yet onto them that they have other siblings. So the oldest three siblings were all adopted together on the same day. And so that is something that 
myself and the other mom wanted to do together so that they could have that bonding moment later in life. And I thought that was a really cool opportunity for that to happen for those three boys. Um, now, my youngest was not adopted until the next year in April. Um, we had to do the the whole DNA test to see who the father was. And of course, none of them came back as the father. And we had to eventually um, do some more parental visits with mom. And that was hard. I'll tell you, that is a hard experience when you go in with this baby that you have bonded with and they have to go see mom and you hear them just screaming the whole entire time. And I just sat there in the waiting room with tears streaming down my face, calling my adoption counselor going, can I just go in and hold him? Can I just go take him from her? You know? And I mean, the entire hour, all he did was scream. And that was, that was hard for me just to sit there and not go scoop him up. Well, when she brought him back out to me, he immediately came to me and stopped crying. And so I knew then that I was to be his mama for sure, because that was a bumpy ride. I didn't know if she was going to get him back. Um, it, there was some uncertainty there with that one, but it ended up working out that she eventually signed away when she signed away her parental rights on the first three, she signed away her rights on him too. And I know that that was extremely hard for her to do, but I'm grateful to her for giving me my children because without her doing that, we would have ended up in a long, huge court battle. And I'll tell you the one thing that I think really helped her make that decision was on one of the very last visits that we were supposed to have with her, I was sitting outside the room waiting and I I started pacing, getting very anxious because I'm like, what if she doesn't do this? What if she doesn't sign these papers? What are we going to do? You know, I've been through too much. I've already bonded with these children. How am I going to give them back? You know, and as women, our heads start spinning out of control fast. <laughs> and so I just got up and I went across the street to the store and I said, that's it. I got to get out of here. So I went and I bought her a card and I bought her a necklace that had an angel with four diamonds on it to remind her of her four boys. And I just took the time and I was with the other adoptive mom and we sat there and we came up with some words to write to this mom. And I'll tell you, that is a hard letter to write. When you're writing to a woman that you want to sign those papers so these children can have a better life, but your heart's also breaking for her because I could only imagine how hard that was for her to have to do that. But we wrote her a letter and put it in that card and gave her that necklace and an hour after our last visit, we got a phone call and they said she signed the termination papers. And it was because of that letter that you two wrote her. And I was just in shock. You know, that is a when you're going through this foster to adopt, when you are uncertain what the parents are going to do. And if you you don't know if you're going to be able to keep them. That's really hard, as you know. It's hard because we bond with these children. We love them just like they're our own. It doesn't matter that they didn't come from us. They're still our own. Um, and so that was very interesting, <laughs> you know, to know that that one act of kindness towards her helped her to move forward to sign those papers. You know, that's one of the things we've talked about a lot recently, and that's understanding the perspective of a bio parent. Mm -hmm. And... 
I mean, most people who are parents will tell you, I can't imagine signing away my rights. And it's really easy to go from that straight into the judgmental side of how could somebody ever do this? Mm-hmm. And everybody I know who's never had to be in that position thinks that way right off the top of their head. What was it that, that led you and the other mom to to begin to think about it from her perspective? Because that's a tough one to get into somebody else's head. It is a tough perspective. And, you know, we had done a lot of talking because our visits were at the same time. <laughs> so we had nothing to do for that hour but to sit there and talk. And of course, you know, we both went down the same path of judgment, you know, you know, why is she doing this to these kids? Why does she keep pulling them back in when she knows she's just going to lose them? You know, that whole, you're going through that whole judgment and that whole mentality to, we're just like, we got to stop. We got to turn this over to God. If we really want to be these children's moms, we need to stop and we need to turn this around and look at it from her perspective. And so really my heart just broke. Um, Yes, were there times I got angry with her? Yes, there were. When times when she didn't show up, when there were times when she showed up completely hungover, it just killed me. And I just wanted to grab her and shake her, you know, and because as a prospective mom, you don't know what else to do, but you're like, how can you do this to these children? But then I could see deep in her eyes, the pain and the loss. You know, and I knew that she had to come from somewhere that she learned these behaviors. And so it really takes that mindset to change around and step into their shoes. Because when you see these women as growing up in the same cycle, that of what they're doing with their children, it's not an easy decision for them to decide to break those generational curses and to be able to give these children a better opportunity. And so we just sat down that day and we prayed about it and we just went over and let's do it. Let's just write her a letter. And, you know, she ended up, she ended up sending us a devotional and she wrote a little note in there to the something. And I don't remember her exact words and I have it hid downstairs because it's one day something that I will give to the children. But it just says, you know, thank you for loving my boys enough to give them a home. And to me, that just like, it just touched me so deeply. Um, You know, now we're in a different situation. She lives in the same area that we do. And so I'm very cautious of my children. We have run into her a few times and it's been a little awkward (laughs) um, to say the least. But I just kind of smile and we keep walking. Um, at this point, I don't feel that my children are of the age to be able to fully understand. But what I have told them is that their mom loved them and cared about them enough to give them the life that they deserve to have. How old are your kids now? They are seven and eight. Seven and eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds to me like the, the, the spirituality in your life has played a, a heavy hand in mm-hmm. how you've handled this. You know, it has because without God, I probably could not have made it through. I can tell you when we were, even just in that short time that made in November, when we were adopting our first one, I cannot tell you how many times I just sat down and just cried um, because of the things that we had to do with the parental visits. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. 
we'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. Having social services in your house once a month to inspect your home (laughs) is nerve wracking (laughs) because you're trying to make sure everything's clean and everything's perfect. And, you know, we had a very naive caseworker. She was very young, didn't have any children. And, you know, I'd get questions like, how come he has so many bruises all over his legs? And, you know, you just look at her like, are you really that naive? You know, and so one day my little one fell in from front of her and I went, there you go this is why boys have bruises on their shins, you know, (laughs) he's learning to walk, you know, but um, the things that my children went through before, especially my oldest, what he was, um, what he went through, that was very hard to hear his story. And I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but right before we were to adopt him, we had to go to social services and sit in a room around a table And they read all three of the oldest boys' reports. And I just sat there with tears just streaming down my face because we only knew a little bit of it. We didn't know the full extent of the story until we sat at that table that day. And that, I won't get into that story because that one day is my son's story to tell. And I want to leave that to him. But I'll tell you, that's a heart-wrenching moment to sit there at that table and hear everything. Yeah, we've we have um four different kids who come out of three different experiences and and they're all deep and difficult stories to to go through. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge for them. Have you done any any sort of therapy with them at this point yet or Yeah, we have and currently um we've been to a couple different therapists. It's hard to find a therapist that understands adopted children and the trauma. And so luckily we have found one finally. (laughs) Um, And currently right now, I just actually had a conversation with her before we jumped on and we're planning the week for them. And she asked what I want to focus on. And I said, you know what? I just feel like we really need to focus on thankfulness and gratitude because that's where it all starts. And they need to start learning that now because my boys, I am so blessed. They really do have such giving hearts, but I want to encourage that with them so that that's helping them work through their stuff too. You know, we all have garbage. I mean, everybody has garbage. So I have a truckload. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we do. But but one of the things that I've learned is that adoption trauma is real. And mm-hmm. the rest of the trauma that they experience to get them to the point of adoption is real. Mm-hmm. And if we're willing to to put our kids in some level of therapy to help deal with that at a young age, that can that can pay dividends in the long run. So Yeah, it definitely does. And you know, one thing a lot of people don't understand is it doesn't matter if you're getting a baby that baby still has trauma because they know when they're in that womb that their mama is not going to keep them. They sense that they know that. And so it doesn't matter what age that child is. They all have some kind of trauma. And when you're going through this with them, you have to be strong enough to stand there with them. You have to be there to pick up their pieces and help them through to the next step. 
Um, I've had so many people tell me, well, you just need to spank that child. No, you need to mind your own business before I spank you. But you know, (laughs) know? so I mean, you know, with, with, with our children, we have to do discipline different. You know, it's not, you know, it's not the same for every child. I mean, my youngest I can go put him in his room and tell him to come out when he has a better attitude. And 20 minutes later, his whole attitude's changed, you know, <laughs> you know, but if you, you spank him, it spirals him out of control, you know, even just one little swat, it spirals him out of control. And so we've had to learn how to deal with that and learn different ways to deal with discipline. Yes. Discipline is, is a different thing. You know, I grew up in a world where discipline meant if you don't do what I say, you're going to say Al very soon. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, in all honesty, I came up from a, a healthy childhood place for the most part, and it wasn't traumatic for me to to have met with a with a paddle a time or two. The switch was traumatic. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> that made me get either behave well or hide you know hide it better. I was sneakier or better. One of the two. It actually didn't change the way that I behaved, other than to make me sneakier, mostly sneakier. <laughs> be better at hiding it. So, so yeah, it wasn't a, a really helpful thing for us when, when we had kids with trauma coming to our house to have that mentality either. And we had to learn our way through it. We didn't have anybody really teaching a lot of good alternatives to that. Um, but as, as you're talking about the, the spiritual aspect of this, um, I come from a, a background where I spent a lot of time in church as a young kid. And when I saw the name of your nonprofit, Rahab's Heart, I went, I know that. Hang on. I had to flip all the way back to the Old Testament in my mind to find that. And so the, the name really kind of struck me. And then hearing the, your story about how you have how you have worked through the perspective of the bio mom in order to help her be able to walk through this as well, it strikes me that you probably have a heart for women who are in trouble. Yeah, you know, with my past... Um, I was one of those that I didn't have a great home life and that's, you know, part of my garbage that I've had to deal with. So when you get kids with trauma and you have garbage, it's, it makes an interesting dynamic, but uh, you know, it's because of the children and seeing the foster care system and what these children are put through. And so many of them are bounced from home to home that I knew that I needed to do something. And you know, a lot of people come to me and say, oh, Rahab's heart. Well, Rahab was a prostitute. Well, yes, she was, but that's not all we need to look at. You know, there's so many of these women that are losing their children. And I say women because you see that it's mostly single moms that are losing their children into the system. And these women come from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, In our case, there was some suspected prostitution involved. And so, you know, these women are doing what they know to do to survive. And if that means prostitution for their drugs, that's what they're doing. And, you know, you just have to take a different perspective about it. And so when I started Rahab's Heart, it was because of the children. It was because when I started learning the numbers in foster care, that there were over 4 million children in foster care, that just crushed me. Um, I knew I couldn't take all of them into my home and I knew my husband wouldn't allow me, you know, and so (laughs) I have a problem with that. You're not Um, the only one, honey. So, 
Yeah, <laughs> I would take them all if I could. But, you know, we just know that that's not reasonable. And I know there's so many of them aging out. So I stepped back and I thought, you know, what if I could just help one mom? What if I could just help her change her change her outlook on life, change that generational curse, stop it, and she could keep her children and work through it. So I started asking questions. You know, how do you help these moms get their children back? Well, you know, they give them a list. Here, you do A, B, C, D, and now you get your kids back. And then they're stuck on their own, and they don't know, and they fall back into the same patterns. So I was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And I can take my past experiences and help them. And so I just started seeing that these women come from poverty situations. And when they're in these poverty situations, they do things that some of us wouldn't do. You know, they turn to drugs or alcohol or they turn to different men in their lives because they're looking for love. They don't have any self-worth about their selves. And I've been down that road and that was not okay with me to know that these children were losing their homes for something that we as a society could help. And now every woman is not going to be able to be helped because they're just not ready, but there are some that are. And so with this program, we looked at it from the perspective of what can I do to help? Where can I help them? Where is the downfall? And you know, First of all, they need to know their worth. They need to know who they are in God. And once they can see that and understand that, that starts changing their whole perspective. We take them through basic life skills, too. Um, A lot of these women that come to us, they don't even know how to boil water. And so it's stuff that we should have learned at home, but they never learned. You know, because they grew up in that same kind of cycle. It was a poverty cycle, an abuse cycle, whatever that cycle was, they grew up in it. So they're just repeating what they knew. And, you know, yes, having a job is important. That is very important. But some of these women are not ready to go out and get a job. Maybe their goal for that week is just to get out of bed and make their bed. And that's okay. But that's where we start with them at. We take baby steps with them. So, We have a whole array of programs and opportunities for them. We have great mentors that come alongside of them and mentor with them and guide them. And this all, of course, because we are not supposed to meet in person anymore, can all be done online. And that's one of the things that we've recently done is we've expanded it to be able to be accessed online so that when a woman comes through our program, we can get her set up with everything online. So no matter where she's at in the world, we can help her. That's an amazing step forward because now you can help more than just the people in your community. Exactly. I was getting phone calls from all over going, can you help my sister-in-law in South Carolina? Oh, can you help my friend in Texas? Well, I didn't have a way to help them. But when everybody got put on lockdown in the beginning, I'm like, okay, what are we going to (laughs) do? So I just sat back and waited. And I thought, you know what, now's the time. Let's get these courses online so that every woman everywhere, if they want to take these steps, can take these steps and start turning their lives around. You mentioned an important word there, want to. Mm -hmm. Have you found any success with somebody who wasn't really looking to do it themselves yet that maybe their sister, brother, cousin, somebody connected with you? And have you had any success with helping people who weren't really motivated to do it themselves yet? 
We have had, um, we've also had some of the other side, you know, that come in and then they drop out. Um, and that's okay. We're still here for them with open arms when they're ready to come back. But yes, we have. We have a woman who is in the, let's see, where are we at? November. It has been just a little over a year. She's still in the program, but she's still taking the steps to work towards her goal. And she's gotten to the point now that she's like, I'm done. I'm done living on the government's dime. I'm done having them in my life. Let's move forward. And that is a huge step for someone to say that and to take those steps. Absolutely. Because if you can change one mother, just mm -hmm. like you were talking about the generations they come from, think of all the generations that change after that. Oh, yeah. And that's what this is about. We have to start breaking these generational curses, because if we don't start breaking these generational curses, it's just going to be repeated. Now, there's always going to be poverty in the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to eliminate it altogether. And anybody that tells you we're going to eliminate poverty is full of baloney. But, you know, there's always going to be poverty. But I'm choosing to step out and use my experiences from my past, my experiences of going through the foster care system to adopt, to be able to help others. And that's what we all should be doing. You know, I've talked to people in the past and, and, they say things like, I can never do foster care. I can adopt somebody else. You know, it's, it's, I can adopt someone else's child. I could just couldn't do that. And I usually just always revert back to the same thing, which is we all are wired for one thing. We're, we all have something that sets our soul on fire. You know, go do that thing for you. For, for us, for our family, it's got kids involved and they come and stay with us. But for some people, it's something totally different. And learning that you have something that sets your soul on fire and going out and changing the world and the way that you're wired for is such an important thing for people to figure out. And the earlier in life you can figure out, the more of a difference you can make. And it sounds like you've really found your soul fire. Yeah, you know, my passion is really helping women. And I look back at my life and I remember being a teenager saying, what do you want to be? And I was like, I'm going to be a woman's rights attorney. You know, <laughs> we all have big dreams. <laughs> so glad I didn't go down that road. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, this would not have happened without the process of me going through foster to adopt. So God knew what he was doing when he shook his head and went, "Uh, -uh you're not doing it your way. You're going to do it my way. <laughs> and so, you know. Even with all the ups and downs, I'm glad that he brought me this way so that I can find my passion. And this is more than just about me. I mean, it's about my children because I want them to see that helping others and serving others is what this world is about. And that's what we need to be doing. And I want them to see their adoption story as a win. I don't want it to be one of those moments where they're sad, you know, they're disheartened by it. I want it to be a happy moment for them. I want them to look back and say, hey, you know what? My heart mommy, because that's what I tell them I am. I'm their heart mommy. Um, my heart mommy took our adoption and she helped other women so that they wouldn't lose their children into foster care. And so I want them to see that. And this is for them because someday when I'm not here, I want them to take this ministry and run with it. You know, you mentioned helping people being an important part of our life's goal. And I'm drawn back to the beginning of your story where you mentioned the pastor walking into your house and 
things going crazy and one kid on the couch with the in-laws. And the interesting part of that story that can get glossed over is you weren't there alone. You had a, you had a group of people. You had a tribe of people around you who were helping with kids. Your in-laws were there helping with kids. The pastor was there. Did you build that that community around you intentionally, or is that something that just kind of kind of appeared in the moment that you needed it? You know, it just kind of appeared. Um, we had let everybody know at the church that we were planning on adopting, and um, we had got asked to step up at the church and start teaching Awanas. And I said, you know, we just started the adoption process. I don't know where this is going to go. So we better not take on any more responsibility because, you know, me and my big dreams, we're going to have a kid tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, so our church just kind of came around us. I didn't ask for it. I didn't have any clue what I was getting into with adoption, but they just kind of showed up. People just showed up. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, You can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Well, that speaks to the importance of having the right kind of people around you on a regular basis and just putting yourself in in those situations with good people surrounding you and your family. Yeah, when you're going through foster and adoption, you need the right people around you. You need those people to pick you up when times are hard. You need people there to celebrate your wins with you. Um, you know, I remember many a times just being so tired and calling someone and because, you know, you don't get a break when you have two little ones like that. <laughs> you, you know, I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom and I would just go sit in the bathroom and just have a few minutes to just cry, you know, and call somebody and go, can you just pray with me? Because. I just, I I can't, I don't think I can do this right now, you know, and you need those people around you that can be there to help you. Even if it's just coming in and doing a load of laundry, those kind of people are huge in your life when you're going through this journey. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned something a couple of times now that I also think is important to, to talk about. And that's that you came into this and you had, you had these moments where you just need to go sit down and cry. And everybody will talk about adoption who's or foster care who's not been in it, who don't doesn't find themselves in the trenches on a regular basis, and they'll talk about how beautiful it is. <laughs> but as a parent who's been in the middle of it, um, I, I'm going to assume your story, similar to ours, has its moments that may not be as beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it, at least. <laughs> you know, we have those those moments that aren't so beautiful. What's helped you deal with those difficult moments and keep going, even in the face of deep struggles? You know, the other mom who adopted the other set of siblings, we've become close. And I call her when I am like losing it. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Why did I do this? You know, (laughs) what was I thinking? And she just reminds me, Jennifer. The 30-day money-back guarantee is over. You have to do this. You have the strength within you. And so she goes, you can do this. 
but we call each other and we help each other out because not a lot of people understand it. They don't understand what it's like to have children that have needs, you know, that have trauma. And so for me and her, we've been each other saving grace. I mean, when she's like, come get my kid, come get him now. And so I'm like, I'm on my way, you know, and I'll be the same with her. I'm like, you better come get them or they're going to find themselves on the street. You know, (laughs) because you just, you reach that point. I mean, let's be honest, you know, and any parent that says it's all rainbows and butterflies is full of baloney because it's not, you know, I mean, we need to be real about this. We all have hard days and it's okay. And I think that's part of what's wrong with society is everybody wants you to think it's all rainbows and butterflies when it's really not, you know, but without her support and without her help, I'll tell you, I don't know some days how I would do it because you need that in your life. You need that person that's going to pick you up and kick you in the bottom and go, you can do this, dust yourself off and get back out there. You know, one thing we haven't talked about much is your husband's role in all this. (laughs) Was was he the, was he as on board at the beginning as you, or was, was this, more your idea, his idea, joint idea? You know, it was me. And I don't, to this day, he'll tell you he didn't think it was going to happen as fast as it was going to happen. He thought it would take years and I would just kind of get over this, you know. (laughs) He signed the papers too, so he's in it. Um, This has been, I mean, it hasn't been an easy journey for him. It hasn't. it's very hard for him to understand children that have special needs, that have trauma. He, this is very foreign to him. So he's still working through all that, you know, um, and this actually, it's been seven years ago since we got our first one and he's still working through it, you know, and men process things differently than we do as women, you know, but that's how God made us. We're just special. Um, so, yeah, we but. process the right way. Right, Amanda? Yeah, well, uh, something you know. like that. You like to think <laughs> That's you a do matter anyway. of debate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's still processing it and it's hard for him. But boy, those boys, they want to be just like their dad. And it drives me crazy. You know, <laughs> sometimes they'll say something like what I've said. And I'm like, whoo, that was so me. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I've heard myself come back out of out of the little mini wees running around a few times. Oh uh-huh. yeah, and it's exactly. usually something you don't want them to say. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, those are the yeah. ones. Yeah, they only pick up on the things you're like. Yeah, I I shouldn't have said that in front of him. <laughs> well, let me yeah, ask you well. this this because when when you get to that point, you know you have to realize that this isn't just about the kids. It's not just about the parents. There's like relationships in all directions there between dad and sons or daughters and mom and sons or daughters and mom and dad. And there's a marriage that has to like find its way through to success. And if you haven't had any struggles in that way, then I need you to write a book about that and (laughs) (laughs) give it away to every foster parent in the world because there's, there's struggles in relationship in the middle of all that. Because as you said before, we all come to it with our own truckload full of baggage and we all kind of dump it on the floor and then we have to sort through what we have and turn a mess into something that's that's a little bit more beautiful. So how have you guys worked through those those pieces and parts together? Well, it hasn't been easy. 
mean, there is no perfect. He works a lot. I'm going to be really honest with you. He works a lot. So that is like his out, you know, and I've even told him, I will go to work for you. You stay with the kids because I also homeschool the children, which throws a whole other wrench of things, you know? So, I mean, we just, we do the best that we can, you know, and I'll tell you, I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I am just going, Lord, just help me today. Give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. Tell me what to do because I don't know what to do anymore. You know, and duct taping them to the wall is not always a good option, but we, you know, (laughs) we just, you know, we just work through it. I don't know how other to explain it. I mean, I'm not going to say everything's perfect. Do we have disagreements about things? Yes, we absolutely do. You know, we're just like every other couple in the world, you know. Life is not perfect. We do not have the white picket fence and he's not some knight in shining armor, you know, and I'm not a princess, Um, you know, but we just, I don't know, Jason, we just kind of take it one day, one step at a time. Every day throws a new challenge. You know, we're going through some things right now with our children that we don't know where it's going to go, but we're just taking it one day, one step at a time. And sometimes, you know what? It's hour by hour. It really is. It's hour by hour, but you just take it one step at a time. And that's all you can do. It's just like when you're taking a drink, you can't guzzle the whole bottle. You got to take it one sip at a time. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I have little kids and that's a lesson that you that they learn to, to mature <laughs> over time. And that's, I think, one of the lessons that we've had to learn as we mature as well. And yes. just so you know, Amanda would have taken my job more than once if she knew how to shift a 10-speed transmission, I would have been jobless. I would have been a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> Just for a break every now and again. You know, I've told my husband that, and he's like, but you don't know what to do. I said, did you forget that we used to work together before children? Did you forget? <laughs> I'm like, I challenge you, you know, <laughs> go ahead, stay home with them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, one thing you've talked about, um, you know, is, is the kids as other siblings and how you've kept that relationship. Um, what is that going to look like going into the future? Whew, that's a good question, Amanda. I don't know. Me and the other mom have talked about it. We've thought about telling them this year for Christmas and then we backpedal. We're like, oh, maybe they'll just figure it out, you know? (laughs) So we really don't know where that's going to go right now. They know their friends. They all know they're adopted. Um, They all know their bio mom's first name. So we're kind of hoping maybe the puzzle pieces will fall together one day and just play in conversation, (laughs) you know, probably because we're both like, well, but if we tell them, then they're going to call you to come live with you and they get mad at you and vice versa. But we know we've talked about it and we want each of our homes to be a safe place so that when the children get older, if they don't feel safe for calling me because they were out doing something they shouldn't have been doing, I want them to be able to call her to have a place to go. Um, and the same for her children. Um But, you know, I don't know right now. They're all still young enough that we can, we still have a little time. We don't have much time because the oldest is 11. And so we we're dealing with an 11, a nine, an eight and a seven year old. So sooner or later, the pieces are going to fall, whether we're ready for it or not. <laughs> um, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes, it will. And just from <laughs> personal experience, I've learned that I, when our 
oldest son was younger, I was always told by by people, oh no, that you don't don't tell him this. Don't. At a young age, they're much more able to hear it. I think, and and they're they don't feel like you've been hiding something from them at that mm-hmm. point. And and so that's always a struggle though, because we didn't do it in the way that I look back and say, yeah, this would have been a better way, but we didn't do it that way. But the good news is, at the end of it, everything has worked out for us just fine. Yeah, I really didn't want to tell the kids that they were adopted at first. Um, I didn't want to tell anybody else outside of our church because that was my own insecurities. I was afraid that if I told them that they wouldn't love me, that I wouldn't be their mama, that they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't want me to be their mama. And so that was a fear I had to get over. That was an insecurity of mine, not theirs. And so one day I just kind of went, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell them. And I told them, and now we've turned it into something that is not a secret, but a celebration. So we celebrate the day we got them. We celebrate their adoption day and their birthday day. So yes, we have a lot of celebrations, but I want those to be special moments for them. And I didn't want them to turn 18 and find out, oh, well, I knew there was something different about me, but well, you know, now I know what it was. Um, so they do know they're adopted, but the other part with the siblings, we just haven't quite figured out how to work all that in yet. And we have to have the two husbands on board, which they're not on board yet with that. So, <laughs> Well, and in today's world with, you know, Ancestry.com and 23andMe, they'll eventually have somebody related reach out to them. And that's how that works. Yep, exactly, exactly. And I just had this conversation today with my son because um, he was asking how much he cost and what store I bought him at. So, you know, this is with my eight-year-old. And so um, we had to explain to him that that's not how adoption works. Yes, we had to pay money for attorneys and stuff, but not for him. And so he was like, but you got me at the store, you know, and I said, no, buddy. And he goes, well, tell me more about my adoption. I said, well, I don't know a lot. Because I, there's certain questions I'm not ready to answer yet and that I don't think he's ready for at his age. And I just told him, I said, listen, when you are old enough, you will get your adoption file and it will answer everything that you want to know. Um, what I find interesting, though, is he was asking me what color hair his mom had, what kind of shoes she wore. And I said, well, I think it was tennis shoes. And that the same day he was asking me, I took him in to get a haircut. And he looks at the lady who's cutting his hair. He goes, oh. Well, you have hair and shoes like what my mom had. Did you know my mom gave me up for adoption? And she's just my heart mom. And that lady looked at me and I was like, <laughs> okay, just keep cutting his hair. You know? and so, but he was trying to figure out, was this lady cutting his hair, his bio mom? And so I know that that time is coming and I don't want to hide things for him. But at seven and eight years old is not the time to say, you know, hey, I'm sorry, your mom lost you due to methamphetamines. You know, that that's just not the conversation you have with an eight year old and a seven year old. Yeah, that's been a struggle. You know, our kids have some some of their own traumatic stories and figuring out how to how to integrate that story into their life so that they know the truth. But doing doing it in an age appropriate way is always difficult. And that's something that um that I think we talked about was Melissa Corcoran we were talking with. And, you know, she's dealt with a lot of kids through the foster care and adoption system. And it's really important that kids do build that story before they become a teenager, that they understand who they are, where they come from, and they have they have a good grasp on a story of who they are and that it's a positive story before they get mm-hmm. to those teen years because that will change them and change who they become 
as they struggle because the teen years are tough, mm-hmm. right? The teen years are tough if you're a biological kid. And I know you said you, you, you know, your own insecurities had you being afraid that the kids would tell you that they don't want you to be their mom. I have bad news. Bio <laughs> kids do that too. <laughs> oh yeah. I've been told that they don't want me to be dad. And, and that comes from every kind of kid you can imagine. So mm-hmm. that's just part of that age, but having that, that decision built in before they get there as to who they are is, is a really powerful part of the of them building their story and having a healthy self-concept so they can move forward and become healthy young adults. Right. You know, I don't know if your kids do it, but my kids, you know, oh, I remember my mom and dad, you know, we lived in a camp trailer and they were painting our house. I went, well, that's a good memory, you know, and, and who knows what the memories are, but I did have a counselor tell me one time, don't argue with them about their memories. Just agree with it and say, that's a wonderful memory, you know, and just keep reminding them that they were given to me because she couldn't provide the life that they needed. And so that's what I just keep reminding them that she loved them enough to do that. And a matter of fact, one of the things that I did is I started a book for them and had all their pictures in it. And I sat down and I wrote them a letter to tell them that, Because I figured if something were to ever happen to me before they were old enough to fully understand, I wanted them to have that letter from me to understand their adoption process fully, why we adopted, how come we chose to be their parents, because that's what we tell them. You know, they're like, did you choose me, especially my youngest one? Mommy, did you choose me? Yes, I did. I chose you. Well, why did you choose me? Because I loved you from the moment I saw you. You know, because they need to know that they're feeling that insecurity. Now, unfortunately, that has caused my children as we drive by the hospital to say, Mom, we want a sister. Let's just go get a baby. You know, and it doesn't work <laughs> like that. And it doesn't. We've been at social services dropping off my ballot for election. Well, what is this place? This is social services. So this is where kids are. Well, yeah, sometimes they come. Well, let's just go in and get a sister, you know, and so I'm mm-hmm. like, doesn't exactly work that way, but okay, you know. As a father to brothers and sisters, they'll regret that choice eventually. (laughs) One female in this house is enough, let me tell you. (laughs) Our house has a little bit overloaded on the testosterone side. Yeah, there's a lot of boys. We're a little outnumbered, me and sis are. Yeah, that's... That's uh, definitely one of the dynamics we've had to learn how to how to handle. But but yeah, it, it's um, it's been an amazing journey for us, and it sounds like you guys have had a, a pretty amazing journey as well. And I wanted to go back and make sure that everybody knows that you have a book out there that talks about all the things you're talking about. It's called Rahab's Heart: A Woman's Journey to Becoming a Servant of God. And- yep, that book is on Amazon. It's an ebook, and it's more of my story. And then it gets into the kids' story. It's just a short book, but it's jam-packed with a lot of information. Um, So it kind of gives you some information of where I came from, my history, um, my past, um, which was a huge step for me to take to put out there for the world to know it all. (laughs) And so, um, but it's out there. It has some information about the kids. I always thought one day I'd write a book about adoption, but that didn't happen. God led me a different way um, because I felt like, the women that were potentially coming to me for help needed to know who I was and why I'm choosing to do what I'm doing, um, because that's a key piece to this as well. Um, but it does have some information in there about the children. 
Okay, yeah. And I will make certain that the link to the Amazon link to that book is in the show notes, along with the link to your um to your nonprofit as well. Every, they can find you there. And mm-hmm. you're on social media too. I am. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Right now, that's all I can handle. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and your your name on there is, is the pages are called Brahab's Heart as well, right? Yes. And for those of you who don't have the church background that I have, Rahab is just spelled like it sounds, R-A-H-A-B, Rahab's heart. Um, And so I'll make sure that there's links to all of that in the show notes. And if you have a podcast player that has any kind of weirdness in the show notes, because some of them do apparently sometimes, if you want to find it, if you go to fostercarenation.com, you can go over there and scroll down till you find the interview with Jennifer Wilcox. And in the podcast notes, all those will be linked there and they will work there for sure. As long as my website stays active. (laughs) (laughs) And I am the webmaster and my training in webmaster stuff is, um, well, yeah, it doesn't exist. (laughs) But so far we've been really fortunate. Everything has been good and stable. So you can find all that information there. Um, Did you have any other questions, Amanda? I don't think so. Um, did you have any other parts of your story that you really wanted to tell Jennifer? You know, all I can say is if you're thinking about foster care or even adoption before you go into it, don't go into it blindly like I did and go, Oh, this is going to be wonderful. And this is going to be all rainbows. You need to know what you're getting into. And one book I would highly recommend reading is the connected parent. That book saved me so much aggravation (laughs) Um, to understand these children, you know, and foster care is different. And so when you're doing foster care, you know, you just get a call and says, we've got a child that needs a place. Will you take them? So when you're starting this journey, be open and have an open heart and know that there's going to be many ups and many downs and you need to be strong enough to be able to stand there with that child and have that support group around you. I won't disagree with a bit of that. And I'm pretty certain that the connected parent is, uh, that's Melissa Corkum, I think. I can't book. remember who wrote it. I know I have it in a book format and audible so I can remind myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll certainly find it link in the show notes as well, because if that was, I, I think that's the name of her website, but if it was, and we've talked with Melissa and she is just a wealth of information and a great resource as well. So, well, I just want to, uh, to tell you that coming in here and talking and sharing your journey with people, I know it isn't always easy, especially the hard parts and your own vulnerabilities and the things that, that we're all afraid of people finding out about us. But that's why we change the world is when we talk to people about the things that are really difficult in our life. And so we appreciate you coming in and doing that here today and allowing us to share your story with the world and hopefully inspiring some other people. Well, thank you guys so much for having me today. And you're right, it's not easy, but sometimes you just got to step out in faith. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to Jennifer's story. I hope you've gained some knowledge and wisdom that you can bring into your life and your family. Be sure to come back next week. We put up new shows every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget that we have a Patreon, where you can support our mission at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. And as always, I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.